Good morning. So good to see you guys this morning. My name is James. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's a, a joy to be with you guys. Thank you for those watching online. Today is going to be a wonderful day. We are finishing up a three-week series this week called We Are the Body. And we've been looking at how God has called us to be one body, though we are many parts that make up that body. Uh, week one, a couple weeks ago, we looked at that we are called to love one another. Last week, we were looking at that we are called to serve one another. And today, we'll be looking at connecting with one another. And so uh, each week, we ask for someone to come and, and do our reading for us. And this morning, we've asked for Johnny Smith to come and, and do the reading, but also a testimony as today we'll be talking about uh, connecting in, in community groups and smaller places, even outside these walls. So, Johnny, would you come up and, and do our reading and look forward to hear some of your story, man. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure and an honor to be here and a little bit humbling. Um, just a little word of prayer before I read the scripture. Dear Lord, thank you for, for your word. I pray you would uh, speak to us all together, Lord God, in and through us, and uh, give us ears to hear and uh, eyes to see you. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts 2.42, four. 242 through 47. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So, as James mentioned, I'm uh, Jonathan, Johnny Smith. My wife is Susan. She's traveling today um, with her mother. Uh, we have two sons, Nathan and Benjamin. Uh, I want to say, hi, Susan. Not sure where the camera is, but uh, when, when she watches this. And then, hi, Mom, to my mom, affectionately known as Grandma Dawn in Parksville, B.C. So early last year, I had the desire to start a uh, men's group uh, uh, midweek fellowship in the morning. First and foremost, uh, this would be centered on Jesus and uh, seeking to experience God and participate in his work. Um, as the basis, two biblical examples came to mind, the first of which I was glad to see in today's scripture reading. Acts 2.42, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, and to sharing in meals, and to prayer. Several years ago, I was part of a church plant in South Hill, Calvary Chapel, headed up by Pastor Ron Sanchez. Acts 2.24, breaking of bread, fellowship, the word, and prayer were the basis for that work. South Hill, Calvary Chapel, now Chapel Church with a daughter church in Tacoma, grew and thrived on that is the basis. So that's one of the reasons I wanted that to be part of the men's group I would be starting. The second example is 1 Samuel 22.2. 2. 
And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him, David, and he became commander to them. And there were with him about 400 men. This is a great picture of a ragtag group of imperfects joining with the king, David. They lived and fought side by side and became mighty men of valor. This, to me, is a big part about what kingdom, kingdom living is about. It's an experiential opportunity that comes through banding together, arm in arm, and shoulder to shoulder. The best word for this is camaraderie. Hopefully you've been part of a team in ministry, military, public safety, sports, work, or wherever, and have experienced this for yourself. And I hope for this experience in our men's group. Now some practical aspects. Firstly, I'll start with what not to do. When I returned from South Hill Calvary Chapel to Calvary Fellowship, I started a midweek men's group. I was zealous and eager to lead. Unfortunately, the approach I took led me to being a teacher rather than facilitating the group discussions. The books I chose for us to, to study were, were heavy material, including Calvary Road by Hessian and some of Warren Wearsby's B books through the books of Acts, among others. My preparations for the meetings was arduous. I ended up getting burnt out and not wanting to do it at all. So for this new group, I knew it needed to be sustainable. There need not be a lot of homework, especially for a midweek group uh, in the morning and for those working um, and uh, busy schedules. The material needed to be easily accessible, so decided on um, uh, devotionals that would be available online. We started out with our daily bread and later shifted to my utmost for his highest. Each week I send out a simple email reminder with a link to the devotional, and I print it out for myself. I read it usually the night before and make a few notes. And then I trust in the Lord, his strength, to speak through the group. And I'm all so overwhelmed and amazed about how much wisdom and insights come out from the discussion. We meet for breakfast at the Sawmill Cafe, as Pastor Steve says, there's great value in sharing a meal together. After we catch up, eat, discuss the devotional, we share prayer requests. I type up the requests and email them out to the group. And I'm also amazed at how grateful the group is for this simple thing. It's a no-brainer for me because the payback is huge. I even feel a little selfish about it since me and my family are so blessed by being showered in prayer. That's it. Thank you, man. So appreciate it. Thanks, man. Thank you so much, Johnny. Um, Johnny's been an incredible leader and so grateful for your leadership of that group. What I love so much about your leadership, Johnny, is the fact that the, the way in which you care, that you see your role far more than a facilitator, but really as a shepherd of caring for people and praying and spending time and going and visiting people in the hospital or... or, or um, praying them regularly and following up with people. And it's just such an example of someone that's just genuinely caring and shepherding other people and um, showing how much you care. So thank you for that. Being part of a community group is an incredible gift.
be part of community and to not do life alone. And so this week we're talking about the subject is connecting with one another. That's the topic for today. And um, the best example we have in Scripture of the early church connecting together is found in the book of Acts. And at the beginning of the book of Acts, we get the story of, of this church kind of coming together. Before that, Acts opens up, and it's Jesus kind of giving his final words to the disciples. He's telling them that, uh, that he's going to go, and then he ascends. And then after that, the disciples, there's 120 of them left together, uh, huddled together in an upper room, and they're, they're scared. They don't know what's going on. And at that point, uh, the Holy Spirit falls upon them, and Peter, under a spirit of boldness, leaves the room along with the others, and they begin preaching. And Peter preaches this message of saying, repent for your sins, and God will forgive you. And so that's the message of what begins in the book of Acts. And then chapter 2, verse 41, gives us this crazy passage where it says this. It says, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to church that first day was about 3,000 people in all. So this is the beginning of the church. And, and, and 3,000 people are added to the church and baptized in that first day that the church exists. I mean, that's just amazing. The move of the Spirit falls, and 3,000 people become Christians. And today we have the excitement that we actually get to do a baptism. What's fascinating about this passage is that 3,000 got saved, and 3,000 were baptized right then and there. In Scripture, you always see that any time someone comes to the Lord, every single example of baptism is immediate after salvation. There's no delay. There's no long confirmation class. There's no long training. It's, it's immediate. And so I also want to say, even we're doing baptism today, if any of you have not yet been baptized and are following Jesus, Please, come talk to us. We would love to see it happen. It's, it's something that's just a beautiful celebration as we're going to see later today. Okay, so we have 120 scared disciples hiding. 3,000 then come to Christ in the first day. And we get this incredible verse in verse 42 that describes what's happening. It says, all, this is the one that Johnny just read, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And so all of these guys, they form and they begin gathering together, all 3,000 of them in different capacities. And so at first, and this is how God led the church. So first there were the 3,000 that came in the first day. And then we get, by the end of chapter 4, it says 5,000 men. This is less than a year later, just months later, that 5,000 men are now following Jesus in Jerusalem. That's just men. Add women and children were well over 20,000 at that point. And then you go to the end of the book of Acts, or close to the end, in Acts 21, a few years later, and it says tens of thousands of people are following Jesus in the area. And so it's moved from 120 to 3,000 to 20,000, and now tens of thousands of people that are following. And so how do these tens of thousands of people actually have a community? Because there was no giant stadium that they were meeting at there in Jerusalem. Well, Acts chapter 5, verse 42 gives us the answer. It says, and every day in the temple and from house to house, they continue to teach and preach this message, Jesus is the Messiah. So the church gathered in the temple courts, and they gathered in people's homes. And the temple courts were massive. So here's a, a photo of, of kind of the reconstruction of the, of the city of Jerusalem, or the, the temple of Jerusalem. And you'll see the porticos that surround the whole thing. This thing is massive, and you can fit thousands of people, and hundreds of people can sit in those porticos, and that's where the early church met in public. As they go and just sit under the columns in the shade, and people be gathered around it, that's where Jesus was preaching, and that's where the early church met in public, is what we see in the story. And so they met in these larger groups at the temple, but then they also met, it says, from homes. And they met daily, regularly they were meeting. In the larger temple, gathered together by the hundreds, and then also in their homes, gathered together in much smaller groups as well. And this was central to their growth. It was central to their rhythm, was the gathering in public together, and then the gathering in smaller groups. And there's four specific things that Luke details that they did when they gathered. The four specific things that create the rhythm of the church. 
And it says all the apostles, all the disciples, they devoted themselves to the, the apostles' teaching, that's the first, to fellowship, number two, we're going to talk a lot about that today, sharing meals together, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Those are the four things that they were involved in. And one of the cool things here that Luke is sharing as he, as he tells this example in the book of Acts is that, as he says, most all the believers devoted themselves to these things. And most translations translate that way, devoted themselves. But the Greek is much stronger than that. And if you go to a, a literal translation like New American Standard, or you look at the Greek, what it actually is saying is that they continuously devoted themselves. Or that they were continuously, steadfastly devoting themselves. That this is something that it wasn't just they devoted themselves, but it was continuous. This was constant. This was their rhythm. This was their, their bread and butter. This was how they existed. This was the foundation that the church dwelt upon or built upon was this rhythm of these four things being part of their gatherings. And so what was this church about? What does it say? Again, they were, learned, they were continually devoted to learning about Jesus from the teaching of the apostles to fellowship, and again, we're going to spend much more time talking about that, eating together, taking communion, and prayer. These are the four things they were continually devoted to that made up the complete rhythm of the church life. So, the first one says they were continually devoted to, the, to listen to the teaching about Jesus through the apostles. So, the teaching about Jesus. So, this is why we teach on Sundays. It's why we, we teach in, in small groups and other places, or why there's a spent of time learning about Jesus, because this is central to the early church, was they were devoted to learning about Jesus. And it's why we, we can't just say, you know what, I'm going to do church with my friends, we're going to grab a beer, go to the bar, or go somewhere else, and just have a social time. That doesn't count, because, well, it's wonderful to do, we need those social times. There must be a time where we're actually intentionally learning about Jesus, that is what they did when they gathered. They learned about Jesus as a central core tenet of what it meant to gather. N.T. Wright puts it this way in his commentary on this passage. He says, Where no attention is given to teaching and to constant, lifelong, continual devotion to Christian learning, people quickly revert to the worldview or mindset of the surrounding culture. And they end up with their minds shaped by whichever social pressures are most persuasive with Jesus somewhere around as a pale influence or memory. I mean, does that not perfectly describe so much of our culture? Even so much of our Christian culture and churches and other places and so many today where, where the focus is not actually on the teaching, when it just becomes TED Talks and self-help stuff and other things, and it's not the teaching of Jesus, we just become influenced by the culture and not the other way around of us influencing the culture around us. So they continually devoted themselves to the teachings about Jesus from the apostles. Number two, and this is what I want to really highlight and spend some time on this morning. They continually devoted themselves to fellowship. Now, what does that word fellowship mean? Well, fellowship for most of us, if you grew up in the church um, or spent much time in it, it kind of like read the church, it meant fellowship is what happened in the foyer of the church. Sometimes churches call it the fellowship hall. It's, it's that place where you welcome people, where you ask how you're doing. And so when I was growing up, fellowship, fellowship if I were to tell you what it meant, it just meant surface conversation. It meant chit-chat. It meant catching up briefly on the week. And the way that fellowship usually worked is people would ask you to come, and they say, hey, how are you doing? And at that point, there's really only one acceptable response, maybe two, and that's fine or good, right? Those would be the only acceptable responses. And 99% of the time, that's the way you respond, fine or good. To respond any other way creates some social problems, right? If you respond by saying, okay, well, now you just created a problem for the other person because that means you're not really okay, and now you're forcing them to feign interest in your life, right? So that's the kind of the way it would go. Like, now it's made awkward between the two of you. 
If you respond and say, well, well, I mean, I'm doing so good, now you also made it awkward because now they have to ask why it's so great, right? So now you made them have to pursue more conversations. And of course, worst case scenario is you say, oh man, it's been a terrible week. I've been, man, it's horrible. Now you make it really bad because now they don't actually want to talk to you that long. They weren't interested in it. They didn't actually want to know how you were doing. You violated the social order, right? And so now you, they have to ask follow-up questions. They have to pretend to care deeply and they can't go talk to their friends, which is what really they're just trying to do, right? Get back to who they want to talk to. Right, that's kind of the way it was for me growing up in church. And, and for some of us, it, it still is that way, where the, the correct answer is just to say, fine, good, and, that, and then move on and talk to people you actually want to spend more time with. And, and sadly, that's what so much of fellowship is in the church. It's just chit-chat. It, it's surface level. It doesn't go any deeper than that. It's just a lot of how are you's and I'm fines and, and then we feel good because we, we put our mask on and, and we feel not the fabric one, the one that we pretend to be okay and everything's all right. A lot of faking it. But that's absolutely not what fellowship means here in the book of Acts or in Scripture. Not at all. In fact, a couple months ago, I was, I was preaching on a similar subject uh, when we were going through the, the, the uh, But God series, and I was sharing about the need for us to be real with one another and be transparent as I was sharing vulnerably some of my own story. And I was talking, especially, especially when we come in the church door, and I loved it because the next week, uh, it was about two minutes before the service started, the countdown timer was on, and I was welcoming people in, in the foyer. And uh, there was someone that came in, and it was two minutes, and I knew I had to get in. And, I, and as they were coming in, I said, hey, how are you doing? And you could tell they were about ready to say, fine, I'm okay. And then instead, they kind of caught themselves, and they said, actually, it's been a terrible week. And I said, really? And I was able to f- find out from them. In 60 seconds, they gave me a rundown of their week, which it had been a terrible week. All these horrible things happening to them. And with the timer going down, I was able to just take a couple minutes and just be able to pray with them, be real with them. And I was so grateful that they were actually honest. That it was, even with 60 seconds, I could actually learn how they were doing and what's going on. I was able to connect with them and pray with them, even in 60 seconds. That's all it took for them to be honest with how they're doing. And an extra 60 seconds to a minute for me to really connect with them in a deep way of connection that allowed us to even connect beyond that. But here in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, the Greek word that's used for fellowship is much more than an idle chit-chat. It's, it's a phrase you, you may be familiar with, and it's the word koinonia. Now, here in Acts 2, it's actually the first time that word is used in the New Testament. Every time koinonia is used in the New Testament, it's referring to some kind of sharing or some kind of giving of oneself. It's either sharing something with someone else or sharing yourself with someone else. And, and like in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 4, this incredible passage where it says that the Macedonians, that they begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. Now, the word sharing there, that's the word koinonia in this passage. So what it's saying is Paul is saying that these churches from Macedonia, these poor churches from Macedonia were wanting to participate, to koinonia, to fellowship with the church in Jerusalem that was having a famine. They didn't even know them, but they wanted to participate with them by sending money along with Paul and praying for the church in Jerusalem. So that's koinonia in that place. They were koinonia. They were fellowshipping by giving of themselves to these people they did not even know. Or then we get down to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 13. It says, They will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all the others. So here, the word koinonia is the word contribution in English. The contribution of you men, that's your fellowship, that you contributed, you joined in, you participated with them, you fellowshiped. Now, that's quite a different idea than the idea of just some idle chit-chat and to catch up on the week. The foundation of the early Christians was koinonia, or fellowship, and it was based on giving of oneself. 
sharing with one another, participating with one another, not idle chit-chat, not surface level, but deep, and actually something that costs, that required sacrifice. And the next passage of, of, of Acts, it makes it clear. So back in verse 42 of chapter 2, it says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship and to sharing meals, especially the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. But then in 44, it gives the context. And it says, On all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. This is the context. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money they had with those in need. That's the context of the koinonia. So we can see that fellowship is specifically referring to sharing of ourselves with others, whether possessions, time, resources, giving to others. They even shared their possessions, in this case, in, in which case were there people who were in need. And just to be unclear, there's some that would say they sold everything. They didn't sell everything they owned. It wasn't some just communal pot that every single thing went and no one owned anything. Because clearly in this passage, in this book, people own homes. They're meeting in them. People have things. But you see, those who had were able to give more to those who didn't have. And they were able to come together and pool. Whenever there was needs, they met the need. And sometimes they sold property and homes to be able to meet the needs of the community. Because they were koinonia-ing. Right? They were fellowshipping. They were gathering together and they were meeting the needs of those that were around them to make sure that everyone was cared for, that everyone was loved, everyone was, was seen, everyone was heard. In this context, Dr. Kent Hughes calls it mutual generosity. I love, he writes this in his commentary on this passage. He says, Fellowship costs something in the early church. In contrast to our use of the word fellowship today, fellowship is not just a sentimental feeling of oneness, which is kind of what we think about it. It's not punch and cookies. It does not take place simply because we're in the church hall. Fellowship comes through the giving. True fellowship costs. So many people will never know the joys of Christian fellowship because they've never learned to give themselves away. They visit a church or a small group study with an eye only for their own needs, hardly aware of others. And they go away saying, ah, there's no fellowship here. The truth is, we will only have fellowship when we make it a practice to reach out to others and give something of ourselves to others. Koinonia is not something you just walk into that happens by accident. It's not something you can experience from a distance or by being a consumer or just a spectator. It can only really be experienced by joining in, by taking part in. I mean, that's what the word means. Literally, the word means to participate, to join in, to commune, to become part of. And attending church isn't enough to experience that. It's a good start, but you have to join community. And just being a member of a church doesn't mean you have it. You have to actually participate in the lives of those that you are with. To give of yourself to others, to share life with, to sacrifice for others, to love sacrificially. Attending a small group won't do it. You have to truly engage and be honest and vulnerable and share life with others and give to others and allow others to give to you. Now, you can join an amazing group experiencing koinonia already. Maybe there's a small group that's like in this beautiful state that they're in and they're experiencing. You could join that and be one of those people that walks away and goes, ah, there's no fellowship there. Because it's kind of like if you were to join into a, a great pool party where everyone's having a blast and fun in the pool and you came and you just sat on the side and just said, wow, this isn't that fun after all because you're not diving in and joining in with the rest. Koinonia, the fellowship that they're talking about here in the early church is only found by those who participate, who join in and engage in it. That's what the word means, to take part. So fellowship is so much more than just catching up on the week. And Scripture also shows that it's a deep level of connectedness. Go to 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. John says this. He says, That which we have seen from the beginning we proclaim to you. 
so that you too may have fellowship or koinonia with us. And indeed, our fellowship or koinonia is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. So what John is saying here, he's inviting people to experience the same kind of deep connectedness that he has with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, with the Trinity, and with those that are already in the fellowship of his body that he's part of. So he's inviting people, some who just, just found Jesus, others who don't, he's inviting them to say, come, join with us and Jesus. Join with us and the other brothers and sisters who are here. We are experiencing this depth of life. Please, we invite you, come experience this life with us, and as we also experience experience this life with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Come, join in with this life with Christ, with God, that we have with one another and the one we have with God. That's just beautiful. That's what he's inviting them into. And I love this, I would call this a model of evangelism. It's, it's not just saying you repent because you need to forgive forgiveness of your sins and then go keep living your life. He said, no, come invite into this koinonia. Invite them into this life that we have with one another as a body and that we share with Christ. We are inviting people into that life. Not you need to go do this, but come, come with me. Come sit with me. Not really, you should go check out church sometime, but come sit with me and come join me as I gather with those I care and love and as I worship my Lord and Savior Jesus. Join me in this. Or Paul says it again in, in, chapter, in verse 16 of chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians. He says, we're referring to communion, he uses this word twice. He says, is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks participation, koinonia in the blood of Christ? And it's not the bread that we break, participation or koinonia, in the body of Christ. Same word. He's saying we fellowship with the body of Christ and the blood of Christ whenever we take communion. It becomes part of us. We join in and we worship him and we become one with Christ as we remember the sacrifice of Christ. This is koinonia. This is fellowship. It's a much deeper level than we often give it credit for. So Luke was saying the church was continually devoted to koinonia with one another. They were sharing life with one another, giving to one another, seeking the best interests of one another, deeply connected, and this is what marked the church. It was attractive, and other people saw this, and it says daily people were being added to their numbers because people crave community, and they crave the movement of the Spirit that's at work in their midst. And you can't do all that very easily in a giant group of people. And so they met in large groups because in those large groups they're able to do what you can't do in small groups. And they were able to come and build times of worship and prayer and teaching from others. And were able to gather together as a public place where people could come and invite people and the public would be aware of it and they would come and join. But then they would also gather in their homes and in smaller groups to go deeper into this and to sacrificially love one another. We desperately need one another as a body of Christ. Christians, I mean, coming back to America this, this past two years, it's been amazing. I mean, I, I've always seen it, but I mean, I've lived in Africa and Asia for my entire life since 17, and it, there's, no, there's very little individualism in those cultures. Um, they're all far more in the biblical sense of communal cultures, and the individualism in America is, is truly impressive. Um, I don't mean that in a good way. Um, and uh, everything's about me, and even in the church so often, it's just me and my faith. My, me and Jesus is enough, right? It's just all I need is me and Jesus, and, and we'll do our own thing. But the crazy thing is that, you know, when God created Adam, he created him perfect in the garden, without sin. And and, in the garden, it was perfect. It was Adam and God, the Father, and the Son, and the Spirit. And it says they were walking in the cool of the day, and they hung out. I mean, life was perfect. But what did God say about Adam right there in the beginning, before sin even entered? 
Someone said it. It is not good for man to be alone. Even God knew that the perfection that he had with Adam wasn't enough. It wasn't enough for just God and Adam and the Father and the Spirit and the Son to be together. He needed community around him and other people. Even God knew that before sin entered the world, it was that way. I love how Eugene Peterson puts this. He's a famous pastor who died recently, but in his great book, Christ Plays in 10,000 Places, he writes this. He says, I often find myself preferring the company of people outside my congregation. Remember, he's a pastor. Men and women who did not follow Jesus. Or worse, preferring the company of my own sovereign self. So this pastor is saying, oftentimes I find myself not wanting to be anywhere near Christians. And just to be by myself and isolate myself. Not just sometimes for health, but he's saying to just completely remove myself. I want nothing to do with people. And sometimes just I want to only be by my sovereign self by myself. He says, but soon I found that that preferences, or that that my preferences were honored by neither scripture or Jesus. Right? That he realized that I realized I, I can't actually do that because that doesn't line up with Bible and it doesn't line up with what Jesus says. And he says, I didn't come to the conviction easily. It was hard to do, he says. But finally, there was no getting around it. There can be no maturity in the spiritual life, no obedience in following Jesus, no wholeness in the Christian life apart from immersion and embrace of community. I am not myself by myself, he says. Community, not the highly vaunted individualism of our culture, is the setting at which Christ is at play or at work and moving. I love that, and I hate it. We need one another. I am not myself. I cannot, when he says I'm not myself by myself, I cannot be who Christ has called me to be apart from community. Rubbing shoulders with others, loving others, specifically people that's difficult and are radically different than myself. You know, this fall, we're going to be studying Ephesians together starting next week. And one of the things amazing about Ephesians, there's so many things why we're studying it, but, um, but uh, and the, especially the final few chapters, there's so many things that the people are called, that Paul calls them to do from, you know, deal with spiritual warfare and, and praying for each other and avoiding sin and walking in holiness and in love and in, and in the light and all this stuff that he tells them to do. Every single one of those words and verbs is plural. Meaning that there's not a single thing that he's telling them to do at Ephesians. He's saying, you, James, or you, John, need to do this. He's saying, you do this together as a body. You need one another. I love the great St. John Wesley. He puts it this way, and this is in the preface to his book on hymns. This, he's one of the greatest Christian saints of history. In the 1700s, he, he wrote this. He says, solitary religion is not to be found. Holy solitaries is a phrase no more consistent with the gospel than holy adulterers. The gospel of Christ knows of no religion but social, no holiness but social holiness. I love that. That's awesome. Holy solitaries. What's a holy solitary? I mean, I love that phrase. He's saying those who think they can live their faith on their own outside of community. I mean, he makes this insane statement. He says, a holy solitary, someone who thinks they can live their faith on their own, just them and Jesus outside a community, he says, is as ridiculous as calling yourself a holy adulterer. I mean, he says that those who think that they can walk in holiness all by themselves without community are as deceived and foolish as those who think they can walk in holiness in the midst of committing adultery. He puts those two things that are just as impossible as one another. We are called to be in community. We are called to connect with one another. And so in this series, it's called We Are the Body. We desperately need one another. We need to continually be devoted to connecting with one another. To koinonia. 
And we're not going to experience a perfection this side of eternity, but God has enabled us to experience to great degrees. And we can get a taste for it here on Sunday mornings when we, come, when we gather. We've been talking about that more recently. We need to pursue one another and love one another. When we linger, we can experience it. When we come and we connect with other people and we come and we share life with others and we're vulnerable and we do more than just a hi, how are you, but get to know people and love on them and pray for them, we can begin to start those kind of connections. But it can only really be experienced in more fullness beyond the walls of the building as we get to know each other more and we share life and we sacrificially love each other and make steps of stepping towards one another. And most especially, we, we see that this koinonia must be beyond the walls of these churches. It's got to go into cafes or, or golf courses or, or restaurants. It's got to go in, into schools and workplaces and other places where we gather together and, and in Taco Bells, if they ever finish the one around the corner from us that's <laughs> been, seemed done for over a year now. Um, our, youth, our youth team really, really wants that to finish. Um, but it especially also has to be done in our homes if we have them, of places to gather together and love on one another. That's the model of the early church again. They gather in the temple courts publicly in large numbers, and then smaller in their homes to create those deeper levels of connections and follow through. And we need both. We need the corporate gatherings and the smaller gatherings. But it's essential that we gather. So we'll go back to our passage of 242. It says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and prayer. So after Koinonia, after fellowship, it says we must share meals together. We talked about this a bit last week. And the Greek is clear here, if you read it in the Greek, that it's talking not just sharing a meal, but also specifically communion together in the homes. And there's so much emphasis in Scripture on having meals together. It's not saying every home group has to do meals together. You have to do it all the time. But we must share meals together. We have to make a priority for that. Because so much happens over a meal. And our, our culture has become so individualized that oftentimes we don't make space for that. And after teaching on it last week, I actually read a great... Uh, part of a book on this this past week. And again, I recognize not everyone has a home and not everyone can do this. Some people are single and they can't make it happen. Some people's lives are just chaos and this doesn't work. But here, this is in the book, Open Heart, Open Homes by a pastor's wife, Karen Maines. And she says this, true hospitality comes before pride. It has nothing to do with impressing people, but everything to do with making them feel welcome and wanted. And that's just, take that and, and, and process that for a second. Because how many times in hospitality that really, we just sense a pride, we want people to see how we live, we want people to see the cleanliness, we want people to taste good food. It really becomes about us, not about the other person. That's not hospitality, it's not when it becomes about us and showing ourselves and our house and our home and our food and our cleanliness and how well our kids are behaved. That's not what hospitality is. She goes on, she goes, this primary lesson was hard won for me because so many of our church activities are conducted in our home. For many years, it seemed as though I did nothing but clean up after people. One group would leave, and I would vacuum. Another group would come and go, and I would straighten. Another would eat, and I would wash clothes or dishes. Since I'm not a housekeeper by nature, she says, it was only natural that my inclination against such work would dominate me on occasion. One morning, she says, I picked up an old book and began to read it, and got just stuck in it, with the, the, stuck in its pages with delight the whole afternoon. By mid-afternoon, the couch cushions were everywhere. My kids' toys were all over the floor. Newspapers were piled up all over the place. Dishes were still there from the previous nights, mixed with uh, the remains of a cereal and peanut butter. The house was a total disaster. Then the doorbell rang. It was a woman from church. And she thought, hospitality before pride. I reminded myself dismally, she said. Determined, I welcomed the woman with warmth, invited her into the unsightly rooms, and refused to embarrass her not with my house, but with my apologies. I refuse to embarrass her with my apologies. I consciously let go of my pride, and the reward was her amazing words that she said to me. I used to think you were perfect, but now I think maybe we can be friends. 
Is that not awesome? How many of us need to hear that? As we try to live up, we, the mess we think push, we, we, people won't want to be, the, but it's actually what connects us to people, is the mess, is the, the ability that people can relate to us. The early church constantly devoted themselves to sharing meals together, and they shared communion regularly too. Communion is where we go back to worshiping God together and celebrating and remembering what Christ has done for us so to make sure we never lose sight of it. And it even shouldn't even be a somber thing. As church, we often do it together. Here we do it once a month. You know, there's some churches that, that and that's wonderful. Maybe we'll do it here every time. But some churches, importantly, they do it every single week. So they say that's the biblical model. Let's do it every single week. But that's not the biblical model. The biblical model is here. It's literally every single day. And it's not in a church with some pomp and circumstance and somberness. It was done every day in the homes as people had a meal together and broke bread. That's, if you want the biblical model, every day do it with friends in your home. That's the way it's supposed to be done, according to Scripture. We do it as a way as a church at least once a month or so as a reminder of that fact. But the reality is substantial way in which community should be taken, the biblical model, is we do it together as families, as, as people gathering together to remember what Christ has done as a regular reminder in the homes of who Christ is and what he's done. And then lastly of the four, it says that they were devoted to prayer. They were con- continually devoted to praying with one another. We must be devoted to prayer as a people. Not just solitary us praying, but praying with one another and praying for one another, which means we need to know how to pray with one another. We need to know what people are going through and what's happening in people's lives. And another reason why we need to gather in smaller groups and and we need to pursue one another at the end of services and before services and other times to know how people are actually doing and follow up people and pray for people. We must be continually devoted as a foundational rhythm of who we are to prayer for one another. And it's not enough just to join a prayer team. We have prayer teams that gather at 8 a.m. every morning on before and Sundays and we pray all throughout the day. That's wonderful and please join that. But that's not what this is. This is continually devoted, not once a week continually devoted to prayer as a body of praying for one another and following with one another. So that's what they were continually devoted to. Learning about Jesus together, fellowshipping in koinonia, eating together in the Lord's Supper, and prayer. And again, they did this as a body in large groups and in small groups. Because you can't do in small groups. You can't do in large groups what you get to do in small ones. And and there's many ways to pursue this. And, and one of the ways we do that here at Northview is, is through community groups. Gathering together in small things is not the only way, and they're not perfect. Sometimes they work better than others, but I can't stress the value enough of being part of a smaller body that journeys together, that gathers together to connect together, to do life together, to pray together, to take communion together, to have a meal, to, to learn together about Jesus and support one another. And to be able to share with one another and give to one another as their needs. And, and even to be able to, as the church in, Ma- and, um, in Macedonia did, to hear of other needs and serve others together that maybe not aren't within, even within your own body. And being part of a community group is not mandatory, it's not required, but man, you're missing out if you're not part of one. It could be that you're part of a group now and you're like, you know, that doesn't really work for me, it's, it's not meeting the needs of it, and that's possible. Maybe you don't see what we're talking about today represented in your community group that you're part of already. And that, 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 I understand that. Some community groups are just weird. Uh, some of us are just weird, right? Uh, Rick Warren, what does he call them? He calls them, uh, what is it, EGR people, extra grace required people. Um, and uh, sometimes there's be a whole community group filled with them. And, and if you don't think there's one in, it's probably you. Um, and uh, you're the one, because each group has at least one. And, and, and it's a chance to really just get in there and, and love on people. And if it's not working out, that's okay. That's why here at Norfolk we have on-ramps and off-ramps with each quarter. 
as we get into September and, and, and January and April, you can feel free to join a new one or jump out and try a different one or even take a season off if that's what's necessary for you. But there's no perfect way to do a small group. There's no perfect way to see it happen. And, and, and you might need, as a small group, you might need to reassess your goals as a group. You know, just this past Thursday night, we met as a group and we got together. And one of the things we did is we asked everyone, is this meeting our needs? We reassessed. Is, are we doing what we want to do? Are we experiencing corny? Are we pursuing one another and loving one another in ways? I mean, our group is just absolute chaos. See, our group is, uh, we have five different families plus a couple single moms. Everyone's got two or three or more kids and all of them nine and under. So we got a bunch of parents and then like 16 nine and unders. So it's just sheer chaos, right? And we do a meal, and we do discussion, and sometimes kind of discussion, depending on the, on the day, on the sermon questions, and we basically, but mainly what we do is just enjoy the chaos, right? The screaming, and the yelling, and the fighting, and the violence, and the breaking of things, and the changing of diapers, and the, I mean, it's just, it's just chaos. While we eat, and then try and stuff food down their gullets, and, and, and get them to, you know, and, and just love on them. But all of us agreed when we got back to this is what we want. We love the chaos of the, our kids being together and, and learning to and us as parents being there to serve one another and love one another in the midst of the chaos. Our group meets every other week, and groups meet in different forms. And the format isn't what matters. We have groups that meet every other week. We have some that meet every week. We have some that meet once a month. We have groups that meet in homes, we have groups that meet in the church, we have groups that meet in cafes, we have groups that meet in, in, in nature, they meet all over the place. And we have groups that, the format doesn't matter, we have groups that do discussion questions of the sermon questions, and I know we've missed a couple of weeks in a row, and sorry for that, it got held up, but starting this week again, if you go to our website, right on the main page, it says sermon questions, and the notes for the sermon and the discussion questions are all there, all the notes from the day, the slides, and sermon discussion questions, about six or seven are there for every week to discuss as home groups, as well as to go through personally. So some do that, some do a book study, some just do meals, some do board games instead, some go running. I mean, the format isn't even what matters. What matters is we're journeying together with Jesus and one another. And we're present with one another. We're moving towards koinonia. We can't be holy solitudes, as Wesley said. We need to be rubbing shoulders with one another. And it's not just because the Bible says this. Even science says this. You know, back in 2010, PBS, the, this TV station, put together they did a bunch of studies on the connection between um, relationships, relational connectedness and happiness. And they made this documentary called This Emotional Life. And the documentary, this is one of the lines in the documentary. It says this, researchers have, now this is PBS, completely non-Christian value or, 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 or study that was done. It says, researchers have found that people are happier when they are with other people than when they, are with, when they are alone. And the boost, check this out, is the same for introverts as extroverts. Whether you believe it or not, there is a boost. The same boost they found from statistically. They're also finding that happy people are more pleasant, helpful, and sociable, hard to believe. Um, so being around people makes us feel happier. I don't think you need the science for that. Um, and when we are happier, we are more fun to be around, creating an upward spiral of happiness. Now, I love that because so often we talk about ourselves being in downward spirals. But we need to be in upward spirals of connectedness to other people. And that's why we need to be gathering with others, whether it be in a community group or some other form. It's not saying community groups are the only way. But central to this church is we don't want people to do life alone. And doing that, one of the main ways in which we try to ensure that is that we're part of a community group. That we're gathering with other people, not doing life alone, growing together, serving together, loving one another. And if you're not part of a community group today, today is a perfect day to join one. Or to say, you know, I'm interested in, I'm interested in learning more. We're kind of formalizing the process a bit more, but we have quarterly thing where, again, you can join at any time, but specifically September, January, and April are kind of our on-ramp, off-ramp times where you can change groups if it's not meeting your needs, if it feels a little weird, or maybe your leader's too controlling, or maybe not controlling enough and not directive at all. If it's not meeting your needs, feel free to jump to a different group. Just let us know you're interested. 
And so all of you should have on your, your uh, seats one of these cards. And if you're online, there's a QR code that'll go up on the screen. If you have one of these, just fill it out. Put your name, your email, or phone number, and just say interested in community group. That's all you got to write. If you're online, just click on the box that says interested in community group, and we will follow up with you. But we would love, love, love to create a bunch of new community groups this year. We already got a few new ones that will be kicking off here in the next few weeks that we can put people in, but we also want to see people step up and lead community groups as well. And again, some of them are focused on things like biblical studies, like the Women's Bible Study kicking off this week. If you're a woman, you have the time, please come and join that one. We got a men's Bible study, a new one kicking off here in the next couple of weeks as well, going deeper uh, with Raj is leading up as well. But please take part. And if you feel that you don't even want, that it's not met your needs, then consider leading one and consider growing in what it means to lead a group and care for others. And maybe you've tried in the past, it didn't work, and you're like, yeah, they're just not for me. Well, I'd say go back and listen to this message again, um, for one, um, because it matters. Uh, not the message, but the, the overall the point was being said. And I, you know, I once heard someone say, you know what, uh, have you ever eaten a bad meal? And it's like, yeah, then, did you stop eating as a result? No, you just tried a different meal. It just meant that meal was bad. It doesn't mean all food is bad. If you've had a bad experience, I understand, or two, try a different one. We have over 20 different community groups that meet here at Northview, and a few more that are starting up this next few weeks. So please, there's pens nearby, fill this out and sign up to say, I'm just interested. You don't have to pick what it is, just show I'm interested and we'll follow up. It doesn't mean you're committing, it just means I'm willing to take that step and then drop this in the box in the back. All right. Now we have an application of this happening this morning, of the beauty of being in community groups and the beauty of joining together is what I'm very, very excited for. And that is this morning... We get to have Melissa is going to come up and join us this morning. Melissa, she's been up here once before. She's been a part of our community for a little less than a year. Um, but she joined our community through getting to know one of our uh, people that is in also our small group, Noel. Some of you would have known before. They recently moved to Vancouver. But uh, Melissa was her neighbor, and they used to meet up at the bus stop. And so Melissa found Christ through this process. And so I want her to come and share a little bit of her own testimony. And then we get the joy this morning of being part of witnessing a baptism as her public confession of faith before us this morning. So let's welcome Melissa this morning. Thank you, Melissa. Amen. Nervousness is a beautiful thing. Just means you're alive. <laughs> Sorry, that's my daughter. She wishes she could be up here. Can do both. <clears throat> so a year ago today, my life was on a very different path. Um, one that was riddled with fear. Here I was, a newly single mom with a five-year-old son, Elijah, and a brand new baby. You can hear her crying. <laughs> um, things seemed bleak, dark, um, and while I'd been searching for God for years, I had been letting fear hold me back. Unworthiness held me back. But then I met the kindest woman, Noel, a neighbor whose twin boys were also going to kindergarten riding the same bus. Um, one day, in referring to difficult life circumstances, she uttered a single sentence, I give that to God, that identified her as a follower of Christ. And she quickly took me under her wing. Um, what started with inviting us to her church, Northview, shortly became welcoming me, her, welcoming me, welcoming me to her community group um, that also included the Lunds. Uh, getting to see and to listen to families of men and women, parents like me, 
speak about Jesus, hearing how they approach life, how they help support and pray Jesus over each other's lives, how they uplift and console, um, as we all experience the many personal but similar everyday life circumstances. Um, it really shed so much light on what it meant to be a, a Christian. Attending church on Sundays quickly became the highlight of my week, and God never failed in meeting me where I was week after week. Each service had me wading through tears as Jesus' words reached me in my own struggles. Uh, one particular service, James reminded us that we weren't required to fix the things standing between me and coming to Christ on my own. I had been trying for years to clear out my temple on my own, to do everything myself, saying things to myself like, I'll go to church when I give up these bad habits. Instead, Jesus' message was clear. He was walking with me. He had promised to help, and so I began my walk. Um, I used to say I was afraid of the other shoe falling, what bad thing would happen next, but now a year later, I know that shoes will rise and they will fall, um, but since I'm walking with Jesus, I can now handle those peaks and valleys. I can honor the dark place I was, where fear had consumed me, um, while also honoring the efforts and sacrifice and surrendering to God. I know that my worthiness is not something that can change. It's not something I can earn or that I can lose. So beautiful. Thank you so much. So now we have the joy and the privilege of being able to baptize her. And so Melissa has asked for her, the, the, those who are here from our, our community group to be able to come up and stand with her and pray with her as we do this. As they've been so, uh, she's just so central and pivotal to her journey. So those are part of the group that are here. If you guys could join us. There's been a couple who are sick and others that's out with Ava. But uh, we'll come and surround and we'll, we'll pray afterwards if you've been part of it. Um, all right, if you want to go ahead and get inside. Uh, yeah, if you want to. It's an exciting moment, something that has been a little while in the waiting, and heaven is rejoicing as we have this opportunity right here to publicly confess before the body of all the work that God's been doing, not just the past year, but the entirety of Melissa's life. And so, Melissa, do you confess today that Jesus Christ is your Lord and your Savior? I do. Yes, and you confess that you want to live your life for him and all the rest of your days. Yes. Amen. Well then, I want to cover your nose if you want. <laughs> In the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, we baptize you here today. Let's go down. All right. Amen. 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 Come out. We want to pray for you. A new day is dawned. All right. Awesome. I want to gather around and let, let's pray for you. So, oh, where did the mic go? Sarah, if you pray. God, we thank you for um, that you, you have walked with Melissa as she testified um, from the beginning from when she was a little girl until now, God, and I thank you for the ways that you continually called her to you and um, showed her who she is in yes, you, God. Lord. And I would just pray that you continue to just root her and ground her in your love, that you continue to only grow in knowing the goodness, um, the goodness of you, God, and the goodness of your love and your um, just your the wonderfulness that you have for her. God. Yes, and I just uh, 
I thank you that she is a part of this community, yes, that we can know her and see her continue to grow in knowing you and um, yeah, leading her children to you as well as a result. God. So we just bless her. Thank you for her life. Um, and continue just to, to shower her with your love. Amen. 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 So good to see you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Amen. Oh, what a joyful day. It's so beautiful. New life in Christ. Um, and also just such a, an incredible illustration of, of the beauty of, of gathering in community. That's so central to that is just in the way that she saw Jesus represented. I, I think we were talking about earlier is as, as she experienced life in Christ and others, it, it came alive in her as well. And so we're going to have the worship team come up now um, and spend some time in worship and just celebrating with God and being present with him. But I do want to challenge each and every one of us. If you are not journeying with others, if you're a holy solitary, it's a difficult, different, dangerous place to be as a member of the body. We want to be in community together, loving God together, experiencing life together with one another. So Father, we come to you right now, Lord, and I just pray as we enter into this time of worship, Lord, and we celebrate what you've been doing, Jesus. May you move within our hearts. May we be able to worship you. But God, may you also show us where it's upon our hearts to lean deeper in. Maybe we've been part of a group and vendors of people, but it's more like we've been standing on the side of the pool party, not actually diving in. And may you move within our hearts. So what does it mean for us to join into community? be part of here in the sitting in this church building but maybe we're not joining in of pursuing one another and loving one another lord move within our hearts and speak to us holy spirit right now of what it looks like for us to take that next step to pursue one another to give towards one another lord jesus and for those that are on the fringes that feel isolated like like eugene peterson they're just saying i only want my sovereign self holy spirit i pray you would move today and may you encourage them to fill out that card or if they're watching online to to punch the button on that website lord and may we be able to connect one another and begin the journey of walking with one another towards you, Jesus.